Hey y'all, welcome to the Anxiety Warriors podcast. We are your hosts, Margo and Abby. We are friends, teachers, and storytellers, but above all, we're anxiety warriors on a mission to raise awareness and understanding about anxiety and mental health. You will hear honest, engaging, and joyful stories from us and many other anxiety warriors about living with anxiety. If you're seeking a space to laugh, connect, feel inspired and empowered, and learn valuable tips rooted in mindfulness and more, your warrior community is here for you. Join us as we navigate this journey of life together. Welcome back, Warrior Fam. Yay! Thank you for joining us once again. Another episode of your favorite anxiety podcast. We hope, we know. We know. We know. I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say. How many anxiety podcasts can a person listen to? Maybe that's a bad question to ask. Never mind, warriors. Don't Google it. <laughs> don't look it up. <laughs> don't don't search for any other anxiety podcasts. We, we better be your number ones. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. We had such a fun interview that we're going to be sharing with you all today. We spoke to an awesome individual. His name is Dominic Villando. And before Abby shares with us a little bit of a recap of our conversation, I'm going to let you all know a little bit about who Dominic is. Dominic Volando is best known for his web comics about ADHD and for his coaching practice, Hyperfocus Coaching. A problem child straight out of the 90s, his eclectic resume also includes years of martial arts instruction, public and private murals across the country, animated advertisements, and managing an MMA news website. Dominic navigated personal tragedy and death with the help of the ADHD community and currently runs his coaching practice from Golden, Colorado. All right. So Abby, why don't you recap for us a little bit about our interview? Yeah. Yeah. So like you said at the beginning, this was a very fun conversation. Um, So Dominic starts off by sharing how a lot of his anxiety came from being misunderstood as a child. Um, He shares a little bit about generational trauma and, and what happened with his grandfather and then his father and how some of that anxiety became a learned way of being and it affected his worldview. And it wasn't until he started interacting with other people with different worldviews that he realized like, huh, maybe life isn't like the way I've been thinking it is. Um, He shares a little bit about how he went to therapy first at the age of 13 and then later in life where he was diagnosed with ADHD, depression and anxiety and how he was able to build a really strong foundation of life skills to navigate all of these different areas to really support himself in being able to thrive in the world. He talks a little bit about art therapy and how art therapy really helped him in noticing his self-talk and and negative self-talk and being able to personify the emotions and the voices in his head, which led him to having more compassion and understanding of himself and how also um, he's allowed his creative side to explore all of the challenges and pain of experiencing ADHD and anxiety through creating comics. You know, towards the end of our conversation, he talks about how he realized that the things he resisted really caused suffering for him and that what his, what his hope is, is that he can be of service to his community in helping everyone, you know, connect more to themselves and have more of a self-understanding so that they can walk through the world more peacefully. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was such a great chat. Um, We know that all of you warriors listening are going to love hearing from Dominic. So without further ado, here's the show. 
Welcome back, Warrior Family. Yay. We are joined by a fantastic guest today, Dominic Velando. Welcome to the show. That's me. Thank you. Appreciate Yay. the invite. <laughs> yeah, we're super stoked to talk to you today um, a little bit about your anxiety journey. So let's start there. Share with us yeah. a little bit about how anxiety shows up in your life. How doesn't it show up? <laughs> yes. um, I think it's the, no, seriously. I mean, especially since digging into, um, I like therapy a lot. Um, it's very helpful. Um, and digging into family stuff and reconnecting with family and like looking at family dynamics, um, really put a lot of things into context. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of it has definitely been learned, you know, it's just like even socially, um, Mm. I'm from the Midwest. We're kind of nice. We're kind of too nice sometimes. I think a lot of that does come from like an anxiety of pissing people off, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? So, I mean, it changes the whole flavor of like the the conversation. Um, A big one that I've discovered though, is that um, it's, it's, it's really affected my worldview. It wasn't until I started practicing different things to calm the hell down that I started to see the world totally differently. And I started to look at it and realize that, man, I mean, when you, when you, when you have anxiety that is going into trauma, um, you know, full-fledged like anxiety, fight or flight response, stuff like that. I mean, when you're really, you know, experiencing it in different ways and different levels, it really kind of made me um, hold back. It's just, it, 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 there's, there's been a lot of holding back. I think just in that it's like, not just fear of rejection or maybe, you know, oh God, I'm going to get embarrassed. But I started noticing that sometimes I would look at the way that I engage in, for instance, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a creative professional. And there are so many times when I've heard my mind say to me, you know what, everything's going to fall apart. <laughs> So why would, why, why really invest in anything? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily articulated exactly like that, but sometimes it kind of is. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, um, the global elites are going to eat us all. So why would you even go for a, a degree? And it's like, it sounds crazy to some people probably, but I'm sure to some people, it doesn't sound crazy at all. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love, I love how you started this by saying that anxiety is something that's learned. Um, and also it's something that's physiological, right? It's like both the things and, and it doesn't matter so much what our caregivers say for like, tell us what to do. Um, it's how they model how they act in the world. And so if they're constantly people pleasing, then we learn, oh, we should be people pleasers. That's what we should do. So we don't get rejected. Um, and I really love how, how you, how you shared how not only is anxiety learned and it's physiological, but how then it shows up in, in how, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe we're capable of, what we're, we believe about the world around us and how that impacts how we are as a human being showing up in the world. Um, there's just so, so many layers to that. Um, I have so, so many questions, but I guess my, my first question really is, um, you, you spoke about at the beginning family stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And you don't have to get too much into like the stuff of the family stuff, but, mm-hmm. but you shared a little bit about how it's like inherited or stuff comes from that. And will you say a little bit more? Will you elaborate on that family piece? Absolutely. Um, and, and this part is, has been made public. My dad's dad was a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but uh, he went, I mean, this guy was from what we can tell running around in the jungle after he escaped waiting for a rescue, um, possibly getting into mortal combat. I mean, super heavy stuff. And he, I didn't have, I didn't really have a, a serious connection with him because he was gone by, you know, time I was 11 years old or something, but you, you could really see that it was pervasive, um, in that, I mean, he was the head of the household and he went through all that traumatic stuff. And then when he came over to this country, he came over by himself, mm-hmm. left eight children. I think at the time it was actually five or six, but in his wife, and then just had to blaze his own trail here and make a, a deal with uh, the U.S. Navy. He, he enrolled with, with uh, the American Navy. And then I believe through that process, he was able to get citizenship for his family. And they came over mm-hmm. on their own. Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad tells the story of when he woke up one night in Manila in the Philippines and was told we're leaving. He was, he was a little kid. And he said, I don't remember. I, I, I didn't know where we were going, but I knew I wasn't coming back. Wow. wow. And when they showed up, they were faced with um, a ton of anti-Asian uh, just conflict in San Francisco in the 1950s. And then, you know, that, I mean, it was, you know, there was still another 15, 20 years before the civil rights movement. And, and they were treated as in terms of a hierarchy of race, they were the worst. Mm -hmm. This is how it was described to me. And it's been corroborated by a bunch of people that like, people were like, what the hell is a Filipino? Um, They already didn't like, you know, colored people. And then they didn't even understand these people. They didn't know where they came from. So the way my, my dad described his upbringing was chaotic it was terrifying it was survival um and then especially when his dad he um he was just shut down at a certain point i mean he went through all that and he just had nothing left so my dad had to take over he didn't have a childhood he didn't have adolescence nothing right so um i later found out that there's this term called hyper vigilant my dad and I are avid martial artists. And for my dad, it was definitely a hobby and a passion, something that he loved. He was able to reconnect with his Filipino heritage through mm. the martial arts. But also, this dude really was expecting to get into like a fight with weapons, like out of a movie on a semi regular basis. He never did. He wasn't a violent person. Um, but Deep down, he was terrified. Yeah. Uh, even in spite of all the things he accomplished, he was the American dream. Um, but I remember it was so normal. And then, like later on, I was I was attracting a lot more people and getting involved with people who uh, weren't as concerned with imminent mortal combat and with just you know didn't have really the history of trauma. And I started to kind of soak that up and calm myself down and change my worldview. And that really woke me up to, wow, you know, a lot of the stuff about my upbringing and and my family structure, um, it came from just um, 
continually and just anticipating bad things to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, all that generational trauma, I mean, how could it not lead to the kind of worldview that you had adopted from a young age? Mm -hmm. Wow. What an incredible backstory. Honestly, I, I, I'm like floored at the moment. (laughs) I feel slightly speechless. Um, Well, I mean, you know, all, all praise to my family for, you know, I mean, we, we don't always, you know, it's, it's kind of a fractured family, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I have so much respect for everything that they went through. And I, a lot of that stuff, I didn't even know until more recently. So, I mean, you can imagine like a lot of that's, you know, I, I didn't have it articulated to me, but it was there the whole time. Yeah. Right. Right. It wasn't articulated, but it was there. You felt it. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I think a lot of our parents in their time, right. Depending on their, on their age, like my parents are in their mid seventies, you know, they, they don't, I don't know that it, that it's like, they don't want to share things about their parents or the things that they went through as children. And they're, they're very open, talkative people, but they're also very private people too. And it's Mm -hmm. like, there are certain things in their generation. It was like, there are certain things we talk about outwardly. And then there are certain things that are for our family and they don't leave these walls, you know? So I, I kind of resonated with that thought, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on something, you know, you talk, you're talking about your childhood and in our call, you had shared this really interesting statement. You were like, um, I remember feeling really misunderstood from a young age and then being severely punished. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that experience? Oh yeah. And this is definitely something that I've shared quite a bit, um, through my own online presence. Um, and it's really connected me with a lot of people, which is great because, you know, it's very healing because I felt very alone when mm-hmm. all of this was going down, uh, especially as an only child. But yeah, I, from an early age, um, I was kind of recognized for my creativity and for certain things that was like, wow, this kid, you know, has some, he's got a head on his shoulders and he can figure stuff out. And I remember that, um, it did put a lot of expectations on me um, from from way too early in age. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, you're 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 my my concern was Ninja Turtles and and where am I gonna get my you know when am I when is snack time again? And then it's like they I was spending time either I was I, I was so often not in class. I was either gifted and talented, or because I was so impulsive and I was getting in fights all the time. And I was just a genius of distraction. Like some, some of the shit I did is still the funniest thing I can possibly think of <laughs> when I was a little kid. I'm like, oh, that was so good. Cause it just like annihilated everyone's attention and brought it back to me. But as a result, um, I mean, they were consistently from like kindergarten to sixth grade. I don't think I really started chilling out until sixth grade. I mean, they were sticking me in a room for three days at a time, four days at a time, multiple stints. Um, and I don't, I, there's the, it's not an incident or it's not coincidental. I use that word because it felt like being in prison. It's like you join mm-hmm. the general population once they release you mm-hmm. into the, into the lunchroom, but then they put you right back. And then you, I mean, they told us, keep your head down and don't talk for an entire day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you've ever owned a dog, you know what happens when you 
when your dog is isolated and told to just lay down for hours and hours and hours, it gets real anxious. Yeah. All that energy builds up. And yeah. And then, I mean, I was almost expelled. They wanted to paddle me in front of everybody. This is like 1995. Um, They really gave me an interesting experience in terms of like the pairing of like recognition and reward and then also punishment and like you're you're a bad kid um I mean yeah as I was telling you Margo uh when I the more I thought about it when they would put put me in detention I mean by sixth grade some of the kids I was going to school with were gangbangers um one of them went on to I think by freshman year he, he 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 yeah he did a bunch of bad things and I remember him And I remember associating with that and thinking, uh, I guess this is where I belong because this is where they keep putting me. Um, And yeah, it just, if nothing else, it really just confused the shit out of me in terms of like, what's going to happen next? Because I don't know why I'm impulsive. I don't even know that I'm impulsive. Um, You know, I would love to go back and talk to some of these teachers who were holding me after class and they're so confused. And they're like, why did you do that? Yeah. And it's like, motherfucker, I don't know. You have the master's degree in education. Why don't you tell me? I'm not. Right. I I don't know. Right. So I just was always, I I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this, this part, I'm just like super, super passionate about what you're saying, because it, it breaks my heart for, for all children that had this experience, right? You like you, you distracting the class was not you being like, fuck you teacher. I don't give a shit about you. Right. You weren't doing it intentionally to be disrespectful. You had other things going on in your life, right? Whether it's anxiety, it's inherited generational trauma, it's ADHD, whatever it is led to these behaviors. And instead of grownups being like, Hey, this kid is communicating. They need extra support. It was like, no, you're the bad kid and we're going to put you with dangerous individuals and make you think that's where you belong. Now, those other kids probably also needed extra support, not just being all lumped together. <laughs> right. Um, but but, but when, it was a little much. Yeah, it really was. And, and then much. also just just the idea that the, one of the messages that came through as well was um, it's just so disappointing that you're this kid and you're also this kid like I I just I still don't really know what I made of that because Mm -hmm. what are you supposed to make of that kind of message right right you're you're an evil brilliant genius like what like it's a brilliant and evil I didn't go the evil genius route yeah (laughs) exactly really good point yeah and the the message is you know when you're saying the story I had so many different like memories pop up in my head like Margo and I both teach in schools and I would go into kindergartens, right? Where I would come in and the the five-year-olds would be like, that's the bad kid. And like already at five, children get these labels. And then they, you know, and then that's, oh, that's who I am. I'm the bad kid, right? And just like, I mean, it's so much strength to, to be lumped as that and then still decide, no, that's not who I am. I have to figure out who I am. This is confusing as shit. I'm misunderstood, right? But 
but what these people are saying to me doesn't mean that it's true. Um, sure. And, and, you know, fortunately for me, I obviously did have positive influences yeah. in my life. Um, but it's just that, you know, you, growing up, that's where you spend most of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's the environment. That's what it was like growing up in the eighties and nineties for me. Yeah. Same. Well, no, I mean, not the same, but yeah, <laughs> we were products of the eighties and nineties too. So it's just, yeah. it's not unfamiliar, right. Being, I remember just what Abby's saying about us as teachers now, but then just reflectively from our childhoods, like we've talked so many times about how often I remember being like, well, those kids go to that room all the time. So that means they're less smart than the kids in this room. Right. Mm -hmm. And those kids, they don't learn the same way as these kids. So that's why they're over there in this room. And it's like all of these, all children are being put in these labeled baskets and told, well, you don't conform. Right. And so we need to place you somewhere else. The, the normal rooms, quote unquote, is where everyone that conforms, it gets taught. And then here are these other spaces where the kids that are neurodiverse or, you know, creative geniuses or whatever, misunderstood, have too much anxious, anxious energy and don't understand it. Right. It's like social emotional learning wasn't something that was heavily taught to us as products of the 80s and 90s. And when I say heavily, I'm being generous. Right. <laughs> these things were never taught to yeah. us. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of piggyback on this a little bit. You had shared in our call that you had started seeing a counselor at around age 13. And then fast forwarding, you know, when you became an, a young adult or in your mid twenties, you sought treatment for your ADHD and you had several doctors tell you like, Hey, we can help you with this, but you also have massive depression and anxiety. And so we think we yeah. should treat things first. And I love this part of our call. So if you can just share with our listeners a little bit about this time in your life. Mm -hmm. So to preface that, because I've had this conversation with a bunch of people within the ADHD community and a lot of the feedback or even seen it expressed. And the consensus seems to be that this is the wrong way to do it. That ADHD gets passed off as depression and anxiety and that's bad. In my experience, I don't think it was bad. I'm not prescribing that to anybody else, but um, I had a bunch of traumatic, traumatic shit happen in my life. Um, before I was even 30. So it, I was uh, severely clinically depressed. I really think that I'm not a therapist or a mental health clinician, but I think I was pretty depressed by the time I was like 11 years old. I remember it. I remember feeling like there's a big black hole inside me and I wasn't even, you know, barely going through puberty. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this was, this was a, a, a major problem. Um, it was, it was really messing up my life. And so talk therapy was really helpful. Making sense of um, what was going on in my head and my relationships with people was really helpful. Um, honestly, antidepressants, even though I really dislike pharmaceuticals in general, um, and it, it, particularly just for myself, I don't like the way it feels, I don't like um, the, the process of it. But, it was, but when I needed it, I mean, it was, it, it, it really helped me solve a lot of problems. And I remember even um, after I think three different clinicians, three different counselors told me the same thing. Hey, um, you know, you, we can tell just from the affect of your voice, just mm -hmm. from the, 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 the way you've described the course of your life. Like you're real depressed, you're real anxious. Um, a lot of it came down to still 
I think just practicing mindfulness. Um, I, some of the, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had was working with a counselor who she didn't so much talk to me about ADHD. She was mostly teaching me specific mindfulness practices and meditation and acceptance. And, um, like one of those particular breakthroughs was there was a, there was a time when I was going through this whole ADHD moment where, um, let's see, I had no gas in my car. Uh, I was late. I didn't bring my wallet. My phone was about to die. So I'm, I'm screwed. I'm about to run out of gas on. So what happened was that because of the mindfulness training, I started hearing this voice that was saying all this terrible shit to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so stunned that I was like, who the fuck is this? Fucking what? <laughs> and why would any, I was mad. Yeah. And, and then I was like, oh my God, that's, that's a voice in my head. And then I started to recognize that this is something that spins up mm. whenever I get into these situations. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly a, a voice that was partially borrowed from other places. And you know what? I shut it down like a health inspector going into a, a, a diner with roaches. I was like, nah, there, you, you're not going to talk to me like that. Wow. And that was literally about the, the end of that. I mean, obviously it, it happens, you know, we, we, we kind of kick ourselves when we do dumb things, mm-hmm. but I don't know that, uh, I mean, it's hard to say in hindsight, you know, I don't like to play all these like, you know, what would you do this and that, but I really appreciate that, that a lot of this stuff got addressed. And then later on, um, I moved into, okay, so how do you manage ADHD and how do you set reminders and how do you organize your wardrobe better? That stuff is all cool, but I think sometimes you need you know, you, you need a foundation and I needed my foundation. I needed yeah. to, I needed to, to have a better relationship with myself and be less anxious. Mm. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this. I love this because I, I totally agree with you. Like there's so many great like tidbits and ways to support yourself with ADHD and anxiety, mm-hmm. but those things don't really work until you have that foundation Um, and some of that foundation is like the core beliefs and the way that you speak to yourself and having that awareness and changing those bits before you can start like organizing your closet, right? Because otherwise that voice is going to keep telling us that we're a fuck up and then we're just not going to organize the closet. And so I love that, like, right, you're getting to like the roots of it, to the core of it Mm -hmm. before you can make the other change, before you can like build the foundation, before you can like build the second level of the house right you need that foundation and then you need the first floor and then the second I I will share with you that this is this is something that I mean I'm always kind of philosophically picking things apart that's kind of part of what I do but sometimes I do question I get skeptical of what's really causing my ADHD because I've definitely noticed that um, the more that I really started getting involved in stress response and calming myself down, that a lot of that stuff went out the window. It really honestly did. And I don't want to say that, um, you know, I cured myself of ADHD, especially because I'm also heading into 38. I mean, certain parts of the population do age out of ADHD, research on this. But 
mainly what I'm saying is that I did notice that a lot of these symptoms were essentially me being distracted internally from freaking out. And, and I mean, it happens from, from one microsecond to the next, and you might, I mean, you're lucky if you notice it in a lot of ways. Um, And, and I mean, there's, there's a reason to, to look at from the other end, going through the coaching training, there's a reason that they tell you, look, it's best practice not to be a therapist. And then if you recognize that someone has a massive amount of trauma, especially if they're saying the word over and over, they need to go see a clinician. Yes. There's yeah. a reason for that. And so even with my practice, it's like, I'm very cognizant of, okay, what, what is the underlying thing here? I can't diagnose you because that's not my job. But at the same time, um, yeah, it's really hard to help somebody with, um, how do I get my morning routine better so that I can get in my steps before I go to work? When they have, they have all kinds of crazy unresolved stuff. And so right. I really appreciated my own path. I, I don't know about other people, but for me, yeah, it was, it was really crucial. Right. And, and what, what it sounds like um, with this one particular therapist was that um, they didn't so much care about the label, like, oh, we're going to treat your ADHD symptoms, they gave you tools to like calm your stress response, tools to support your well-being, tools to navigate when you notice like the voices and the negative self-talk coming up. And so it wasn't like, here, do this for your ADHD. It was like, here, let's support the whole person in front of me and give them like life skills to navigate the world in. Well, that's, that's something that I noticed right away when I I mean, I really dove right into the ADHD world. My first experience with it, other than just being diagnosed and talking one-on-one with somebody, was I walked into the international conference on ADHD and was listening to, I mean, this this is the summit of intelligence around this subject, more or less. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's researchers, there's clinicians, there's authors, coaches, um, and then, you know, 500 people walking around a building who all are diagnosed with ADHD. That's the one thing that I noticed is that, oh, this is just stuff that's good for humans. Like very little of this, like you need that kind of touch when you work with, I think with, with someone that they understand the neurodivergent mind, it is very important. And also the neurodivergent experience, but also like one of the acronyms is meds, um, which medic medication can be replaced with, with meditation, Mm -hmm. but it goes, you know, meditation or medication exercise diet and sleep is that really unique to anybody is there anybody (laughs) right right i mean seriously so so a lot of this stuff that's adhd management yeah it can get very particular but a lot of it is being recognized as okay a lot of these people are high strung a lot of these people are getting overwhelmed fast and there's a number of different reasons for that so yeah i mean i i do think it's it's uh it's, it's one of those things where you almost kind of can't go wrong. I mean, people want to be recognized that, Hey, I have ADHD and I feel alone and I feel misunderstood, but ultimately you're going to have to come back to the basics. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to get your sleep. You're going to have to stop eating garbage. You're going to, if you're really serious about improving your life. 
Yeah. It's like the, the combination of mental and physical health, right? It's like they, these two things have to coexist together. Yes. We can nourish our bodies, but we also have to nourish our minds. Yes. We can nourish our minds, but we also have to properly nourish our bodies. Right. And I had this, this moment when you were talking and I just, it always, it's something that always comes up for me. I'm like, when I'm freaking out, when I'm angry, when I'm anxious, when I'm, I fucking hate the world, whatever's going on with me, usually eight times out of 10, it's when was the last time I had some water? (laughs) like eight <laughs> times out of 10. And like, that's and yeah. when I started thinking like that all the time, I literally always have water like within a foot of my body and it's made such a huge difference. So I want to actually keep on this and stick with um, asking you a little bit about how you experience anxiety in your mind and body and behaviors. Like how does it show up for you physically? Mm-hmm. Um, I get really sweaty hands. <laughs> yes it's a, we're it's big a sweaty tingle. warriors here okay nice so i found my tribe there yes um, in fact i have a friend who's uh an adhd coach and once in a while we'll text each other just a picture of a sweaty palm which to, to anybody else might seem incredibly disturbing but it's like oh yeah bro me yeah, too. not to us. This yeah. makes a lot. We Abby and I are just we send each other g- gifts and memes of just only things that the two of us we feel like truly understand. Just, but yeah, everybody, it, right? Everybody has their thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a sweaty hand thing you wouldn't understand. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I remember years ago it was like, oh, you have hyperhidrosis. Put this ointment on your hands, and it was like, yes. that was perspective. <laughs> yes. But yeah, th- that's one of the things that turns out. When I looked into it, all the research is like, yeah, it's we're pretty clear on that. You're freaking out like you're 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 having a stress response. I mean, it could be, you know, just a random genetic thing. But so there's that. Um, mm-hmm. Also. Um, definitely, definitely breathing. Um, that's always been something I've been very cognizant about just as a lifelong martial artist. I mean, you know. That's the basis of any kind of athletics for, for the most part. And so uh, I'm always paying attention to my breath mm-hmm. and definitely with, you know, it, it's just a correlation, it seems. Um, I, I, I also mentioned uh, when we talked earlier that even with certain strains of weed, um, I mean, being out here in Colorado, I've been able to explore this whole universe of different types and it's like the ones that make me that increase my anxiety for they inhibit my breathing Mm -hmm. i've definitely noticed that where it's almost like it goes from autopilot to manual where i actually have to remember and tell myself to breathe and after a while i was like hmm, i don't really like this this is extremely not conducive to (laughs) to my life so I've cut out a lot of that stuff, but that's because I noticed that, um, you know, in, in other situations where I was panicked and then in other situations where I kind of, oops, induced my own panic, mm-hmm. um, oops, my breathing is all messed up and that, uh, yeah, there just seems to be a correlation. And then when I address that anxiety gets better, um, those would be the main ways physically I would say and then also just general hyperactivity you know I mean I'm always on the go um I have a really hard time chilling out and doing like I see people chilling out and just watching a movie I'm like what are you doing like you could be you could be doing infinite things so just you know 
don't do nothing do any of these infinite things it's it takes a lot it takes Mm -hmm. a lot for me to calm down um and even when I am um chilling out it's kind of a task for me Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like okay well for the next 25 minutes I'm going to do this meditation so it's on the schedule uh, yeah (laughs) yep it's booked it's yeah so yeah I mean just I think just any kind of uh you know it, it just everything's accelerated sometimes physically that's one thing I've noticed now obviously with the breathing it's kind of decelerated but obviously you know it's it's all connected so that's kind of one of the things I've noticed is that anytime I'm anxious like physically things are are just overstimulated just going a little too hard too have too fast yeah yeah yeah. I really, I love, I love how you said um, uh, about inducing your own panic, right? And I think even, even if it isn't weed, a lot of people, I'll speak for me, me with anxiety and ADHD, um, there are things externally that will induce my panic, right? <laughs> will cause my panic. And then there's me that can cause it. Even if it's not with weed, it's like the overthinking or the like difficult conversation that's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it like adds all this panic. And I just really like the way you said that because yes, external factors can contribute to anxiety, but also we can contribute to our anxiety too. And, and so that's, when you were saying that that's what came up for me is just thinking about how we can contribute to our own panic. Sure. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that was taught to me is that, um, like I was talking to a friend who, uh, is actually an, uh, an OR nurse. Mm-hmm. And so he has to calm people down. Yeah. Sometimes they wake up and, they're like, ah! <laughs> and they don't know where they are and what's going yeah. on. And one of the things he's told me about panic attacks and people freaking out is that you got to surrender. But I have noticed that through that process, sometimes I've learned that in surrendering, um, it's, it's a, it's also kind of a form of accountability Mm -hmm. and I'm big on accountability. Like I appreciate that there are people out there who are fighting these battles to get accommodations and change the world and change the politics and stuff like that. But at the same time, I mean, when you're talking about your body, um, I mean, you have a lot of control and you have a lot of control of your external experience. And so, yeah, I couldn't help but notice that, um, you know, if I can be accountable for my breath and like any kind of things that are coming into my world that are causing me anxiety, um, the best things I can do is, you know, at least try to change it. Yeah. 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 Right. Get that agency piece. Um, so you've shared, I know it's just, if only I could just uh, tell myself to fix the help myself, I, I have the power. I can have some of the power sometimes. Oh, <laughs> Not easy, but sometimes necessary. Um, so you've shared a lot about some of your go-to strategies for coping. You've talked about talk therapy, speaking through the losses in your life and um, family trauma, processing deaths in your family and ADHD co- coaches and the like. But in our call, you shared so much about um, your work as an artist and also receiving art therapy and how life-changing that's been for you to navigate your anxiety and more. So please share with us more about that. Sure. Um, By the way, I don't think I mentioned in this about, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it is important part to share and I like to share it for anybody else who's going through it. I mean, I lost my parents by a very early age. 
Um, both of them were suddenly diagnosed with cancer. And then, I mean, it was like out of a TV show. It was like doctors are lining up in the room and they're telling you, you got two months and you get your fares in order. I happened with both of my parents in front of me and it was very mm -hmm. unexpected. So, I mean, you talk about anxiety inducing in terms of like your structure, your family structure, your um, sense of being, I mean, I can't go home in a way, yeah. you know what I mean? There's no home to go to. So, which brings me to, yeah, the, the creative work and the art therapy. So I'll start with the art therapy. Um, just for time's sake, it, it's like one of the ways I think that's been really helpful is that it's been a lot of identifying these different voices. Mm -hmm. um, we all have different roles and different voices. And um, initially, like I shared the story about, you know, and I, I realized that there's this voice that was berating me and insulting me and I kind of identified that initially as oh well that's just you know the difference between okay there's your mind and your thoughts and then there's the other part of you that whatever you want to call it your witness your modal soul but they're not necessarily the same thing but then as I explored through with this person guiding me started identifying different voices um particularly i have a I, I it seems to me that i have this voice that kicks in um when it's time to be more aggressive about life when mm. it's time to change my surroundings when it's time to call myself out on my own bullshit mm. um there's another voice that is more soothing and um and 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 really it's come down to kind of like a mother father type of voice. And this is also a composite of different voices. So it's not just my biological parents, but I have borrowed different voices from different um, role models. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the, the more male voice is, a, is really a, a, a combination of my dad, uh, mentors, you know, like, like uh, I, I had a particular, a few particular martial arts uh, instructors who really, you know, took me under their wing and um and there there are different ones too um yeah. obviously when you you know like we mentioned weed like when you're altering your state and you're altering the voices in your head there, that one sometimes is particular mm -hmm. um so the therapy has involved personifying those and i've been drawing since i was a fetus so i just got right to it and i just started drawing these people and um i think what what is is really helpful about that is that you look at any program mm -hmm. like for instance a 12-step program what do they tell you to do you better find a higher power <laughs> um and and that's that's part of my higher power mm -hmm. is associating with these different people that can be with me um even in my time of need even when i'm completely alone yeah. um it's been really therapeutic to just uh, draw upon all these experiences and, you know, the, the fact that these people love me and the fact that, you know, that's, that's a timeless thing. And um, it just, you know, I mean, the, the higher power thing, if you really want to break it down, it's just like, okay, you, if you can get yourself into a mindset, you're bigger than this thing, then you can overcome it. Yeah. So that has been, um, yeah, I won't talk too much about my my creative career because it's it's just been so all over the place. I mean, that's the ADHD part. I mean, it, it is definitely who I am, and and 
uh, I'm really proud of all the things I've done from murals to making comics and animations. And um, I mean, even, you know, the content that I do for the, this kind of work that I'm doing, reaching out to ADHDers and, and people struggling with mental health, that's all creative work to me. At this point, all of those boundaries just kind of disappear. It's all just a creative outlet. But I mean, I, yeah, I'm very lucky that um, I was led and had these people appear in my life who recognized that and said, oh, well, you draw all the fucking time? <laughs> well, let's take advantage of that. And let's, um, you know, let's, let's use your strengths and, and just dive into that. And yeah, I mean, th th this, is, this has been a pretty transformative thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I love this because before, when you're talking about therapy, you talked about um, uh, talk therapy and how that was really helpful. Um, but there's this piece to it. And, and um, when I've gone to therapy, I've never done art therapy, but I remember I went to a coaching program once and they had us draw our fears around certain things and to be able to, and I am a terrible artist. So I, <laughs> right. I, I'm not good, but that's okay. I understand we're all great in our own way in art, but, yeah. but, but for me, it was about the exploration. It was like that first moment where it was like, Oh, I can put these feelings. I can put these thoughts and I can allow it to be expressed in a different way than just my mouth. Right. And, and to see it and see that fear for me, it allowed me to have a lot more um, compassion for myself and compassion for like the fear. Right. And so that's yes. kind of what I'm hearing is that when you take the time to one, have the awareness of the voices and hear how, you know, oh, this one sounds like a mentor or this one sounds like from my childhood or this was, you know, the punishing teacher. Right. And then like being able to like see it, then it's like another step of, of, of befriending them or befriending yourself or knowing which ones are helpful in which situations. Like there's so many different ways I see this being of support, but I just, I love the personifying them because it, it kind of makes them obviously a little bit more human. And then we might be able to have a little bit more understanding or compassion with them rather than just like beating ourselves it's way up. Less scary. Yes, it's yes. way less scary when those, when those emotions show up, because it's like, what do we fear? We fear the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, familiarizing yourself. It's like, um, and look, I mean, obviously it takes action, it takes practice. I mean, I, I think a lot of us have, um, you know, heard of this, this poem by Rumi where he invites you to invite your emotions and, ha and have a, a meal with them and get mm -hmm. to know them. Yeah. And, and I came across that many years ago, but, you know, it, it, was, it was a concept. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. But yeah, it was really helpful to really take the action and make the investment to go through the process and then yeah it just proved to be really rewarding and yeah it's way less scary now to be like oh hey <laughs> i guess you're showing up now yeah. um yeah. fear and sweaty hands and fear of uh yes. you know uh nuclear war or whatever it is like you know they, they it, sometimes it gets particular mm -hmm. but i find that um sometimes the more particular you can get um it's just, it's, it's more familiar and that's a lot less freaky. Yeah. I love that. Turning the concept into action. It's mm -hmm. just, it feels so quantifiable when you say it like that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to hold on yeah. to that one. All right. So Dominic, you can go back in time and speak to a younger version of yourself. 
what kind of advice would you offer? I've been thinking about this and, and this is my reaction anytime people ask me a question like this because it's just, it's so hard for me to see things this way. So what I'm gonna say is that I don't know if I would. I think if anything, I might, like if I was standing in front of my younger self, I might just give them a certain kind of look. Mm. That's just like, I get you. Yes. Um, and the reason I say that is because I don't, I just wanna, I, I, I try to accept who I am. Mm. And I try to accept this path because um, I found that, you know, I mean, you resist things and you suffer. Um, particularly when it comes to stuff that you can't do shit about. Yeah. Um, so I think I would just, I mean, I would probably just try to appreciate this person. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if anything, yeah, maybe I would tell them like, I understand you or I get you. Um, but yeah, I would kind of do the back to the future thing and not meddle too much. Because <laughs> it's like, you don't want to mess up the time. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So good. Yeah. That's so good. I love that so much. Um, I'm just trying, I'm trying to envision the look. It's like only a visual artist would say, <laughs> just give my former self a look yeah. and then he'll just know. He'll know I don't even know what it would be. But <laughs> my friend, my well, we won't put you on the spot and this is audio <laughs> media anyway, so it'd be useless. <laughs> um, all right. So final question before we get into some lightning round fun, Yeah. what does being an anxiety warrior mean to you? I'm so glad you asked because um, I did, this does this 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 is a big thing for me. Um, I have this theory that the more people are integrating with technology and with um, virtual realities, that the more they're susceptible and that they're honestly being attacked in terms of their stress response. Mm. Um, I really do think that it's making the world more fucked up and that there are a ton of people out there who are really vigilant about certain things and really they're terrified. Really, they're, they, they're not aware of, I mean, just go watch the social network. They're breaking it down. They, they've been telling this since a long time ago, since before Facebook even blew up to where it is that, yeah, they figured out that if they scare you, they can sell you better. If they scare you, they can, if they, if they bring out your negative um, reactions, those actually travel faster uh, neurologically. And so you get a quicker response, you get a quicker click. Um, and so I have this theory that if you can connect people with themselves better, you get less um, pissed off people. You get people who are um, more grounded, not just for the sake of being more grounded, but um, for the sake of just having a, a more peaceful and sensible world. I mean, um, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily like achieve world peace with what I'm what I'm doing, but sometimes I kind of do to see this like whole Star Wars battle playing out in the virtual world where it's like it's just you can push people's buttons 24 seven. And I mean, we're pushing buttons, but we don't realize that they're, they're pushing our buttons. We got buttons and they know it. And a lot of times they know it better than we do. 
So it occurred to me a couple of years ago that, okay, ADHD is a thing, it's very important to me. I'm connected to this community, but also um, particularly following kind of footsteps of like, for instance, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who was out there doing a lot of amazing work, teaching people about how to ground themselves and how to understand what's happening to them as it's happening to them. Um, which I think oh, is, yeah. a, which I, I think is a huge component. Like when you understand what's happening to you neurologically, it's way less scary and, and you're way less reactionary. I think that the more I can raise awareness about that, and then I can give, help people with tools to be less overwhelmed, that they'll be a lot more prepared for the world that we're heading into and that we're already in. And I don't know, maybe make the world a little bit better. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah it's so beautiful. it's so true. It's like with more awareness and self-understanding and, and connection to self, right? It, it makes the world a little bit of a better place person by person and they have more understanding. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's always the goal. And I love that your definition of anxiety warrior is like an act of service in a way, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's about you, but it's also about what's past you. It's about the people in your community, the people that get to be coached by you, that um, get to enjoy your comics, right? That you, that you had made popular back in 2019 when you weren't sure if like anyone would even give a shit about ADHD comics yeah. and look at how they blew up. And then you found that need, right? So like being able to be of service is also, I think something that a lot of the people we talk to share. Yeah. Awesome. All right. It's time for some fun. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for <laughs> round? Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> okay. So Abby and I are going to go back and forth. We're each going to ask you a fun, get to know Dominic type question. Okay. And you don't have to, you don't have to answer too quickly. You can take a pause, take a deep breath, whatever feels good. Come up with your answer in your own time and we'll be ready to receive it. All right. So mm-hmm. Abby, who's going I first? Can, I can go first. <gasps> Ooh, I'm proud of you. Girl. Yeah. All yeah. Right, let's, let's do it. Okay. I'm making a big assumption here. Okay. Have you ever read comic books? Any type of comic books? Uh, those were my nursery rhymes, practically. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I grew up on superheroes and comics, for sure. Okay, so if you could live a day as a character in one comic book, who would it be? Um... For some reason, Silver Surfer is coming to mind. Mm-hmm. I was never like crazy in a Silver Surfer, but the fact that this guy is just the most free individual in the in the cosmos, there's nothing that can stop him. He jumps mm. on a surfboard. He's like, "Oh, look! There's a there's a cosmic uh, windstorm. I guess I'll just uh, surf through it and yeah. and." Just, yeah, I mean, the guy's unstoppable, he's indestructible, but mostly, like, he's free to go anywhere he wants as fast as he wants. That'd be mm. kind of cool. Yeah, that does All sound right. cool. Nothing yeah. better than freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? And taking those risks when you know that you're probably safe because you're in some kind of It's probably an world. amazing, yeah. Well, and it's probably, I mean, he, he gets he gets to really take the, the scenic route going through, just plowing through a whole galaxy. So that'd be kind of interesting the scenic crowd. All right. Love it. Okay. So 
I know that you are, you said you were big into mixed martial arts and I know you, you know, you work for um, an MMA news site. Mm -hmm. So if you, and I know maybe you are, but if you were like a big time MMA fighter, what would be your entrance song? (laughs) And then maybe could you like sing a little bit of it? (laughs) Okay. Um, This is going to sound so stupid to anybody who doesn't know the song, which most people don't, but it's this, it's like the most, it's called dead guy by ministry which is an industrial band from the 90s and <laughs> um yeah it's just people like the lights would go out and they would just hear dun, 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 or no i'm saying that's, that's walk um <laughs> um yeah dun, 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 so it's just the heaviest crunchiest yeah are you feeling it now like is, yes are you feeling afraid to face me in the cage now terrified like, <laughs> terrified <laughs> I always knew that would be just the hardest, like coolest entrance song ever. <laughs> I love it. We'll have yeah. everyone warriors. Everyone's job is to jump on your, your favorite music app and find a song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I'm going to kind of riff off of this a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I know MMA I know MMA is not like wrestling. I very much know that, but I'm going to combine the two okay. and say like, I like if, okay um what would be your wrestler mma name you know like oh yeah like dominic the something yeah or, yeah 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 um rock johnson you know we got the rock stone cold steve austin <laughs> um let's see i don't know if i thought about this one um I think I, it's it's probably gonna have an alliteration because those are always good. So um, I don't know. It might be like dopamine dom. No, Edric, dopamine dom. Let's let's raise up the dopamines. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. So good. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. So good. And yeah, I was gonna say it needs the alliteration. I'm heavy into alliteration, so <laughs> extra love, extra points. All right. Okay. Let's see. Um, what reality TV show would you really thrive on? Ooh. Um, I watched a ton of them, but, uh, I think there's a good chance that I would actually, let me think if there was a lower, like amateur level of like a hell's kitchen, um, Ah. I have actually, in my anxiety warrior journey really acclimated myself to difficult people to the point where, and I'm a huge Gordon Ramsay fan. So I think I would love to get screamed at by (laughs) Gordon Ramsay. Um, I would, I would be laughing so hard and, and, um, and I, and I do love to cook. So it would, it would be like a huge thing to be able to, um, and I would want it, ha- I would want him to yell at me and then I would want to have a breakthrough. And then, he's, and then he's like, this is incredible. The flavors are just balanced and like, yeah, that'd be yes. I'm just, I'm picturing that, that like went viral, like video or meme or whatever. It's like, he's holding two pieces of bread around a woman's head sandwich. or a guy's head. He says, you're, you're an idiot sandwich. <laughs> I would be so honored if you turned me into an idiot sandwich. <laughs> 
but then you'd bring it back around and he'd see your incredible culinary genius. Yeah. And then he would call me, he'd be like, you're a genius sandwich. And then he would do the same thing. Exactly. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm going to riff on this one too. So, (laughs) so you're on the show and you've like won. He sees you're a genius sandwich. You have won. You feel all this joy. What is the, if, if joy was personified, if joy was into a sound, what would the sound of joy be as you're winning this after he's yelled at you and you've redeemed yourself and all of that? Um, (laughs) probably something like that. Probably me just laughing uncontrollably. (laughs) Like, Probably. Yeah. Cause that's, that's my favorite thing to do in the world is just laugh my fucking ass off. So yeah, just, just Perfect. go back to any part where I'm laughing really hard at this podcast. And that would be, <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> no, no, this has to stay in. You're saying go back to find laughing on this part. This is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Do I have one more? You have one more. I have one more. Yeah. Okay. My, my final question what's one thing about you that you would consider to be super dorky? (laughs) There's so many. Um, The one that stands out, like maybe would surprise people. Choices. Oh Oh my God. Um, A long time ago, even though I was kind of a little hoodlum when I was like a teenager, I had really weird friends. Like we were like hoodlum nerdy kids. And like, like we were kind of like hackers and stuff like that at times. And so like, we, we were into such weird things that didn't make any sense. Yanni was one of them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The, the Greek guy who makes Yeah, like we know music. Yanni. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, like, yeah, like, the, like he's in like the four horsemen of like yeah. horrible new age music, John Tesh and like, <laughs> so I actually met that guy. And got you, met, you met Yanni? Oh yeah. Um, uh, oh I, yeah. You're like you're like <laughs> oh yeah. I met Yanni. Well, I ha- it, it was. I mean, I had to. And then um, it, I went to his concert with my girlfriend at the time. And then him with his like Greek swarthiness, he was like, "You were a beautiful couple." <laughs> and then um, yeah, that was a big highlight in my life. But uh, yeah, awesome. I got. I got Perfect. super nerdy uh, musical tastes, and and yeah, that's one of them. Uh, I like Yanni. You can fight me if you want. Um, <laughs> oh. Love it. Dopamine right. Dominic in the ring, fighting for his love of Yanni. Yeah, that would be that maybe that'll be your exit song when you win the fight. Your exit song will be Yanni. <laughs> yeah, if if right, if, if if they were like, yeah, we can't get the license to that ministry song, I'd be like, well, can you get Marching Season by Yanni? Because I'll Perfect. do that. There you go. You have to have a backup song. Everyone. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. This was such a blast. Um, we love lightning round. It's literally yes. the best. Okay. So before we let you go. Yes. Do you have a win of the week for us? I do. I have a really difficult conversation this week. I actually had several of them. Um, that is isn't it's not just my win of the week i mean this this is like bringing closure to years of hard feelings and confusion and uh 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it because I'm kind of in the business of that lately. Mm. Since I've really um, had some gains with with anxiety and with conflict and fear of conflict, um, I'm really enjoying talking to people's souls and letting them know that like, no, nah, I'm here and we're going to talk about this. And it, it ended up going amazingly. Oh. I mean, it, it was because I was able to express you know exactly what I was pissed off about and all of the stuff that I was that was bothering me and just be totally vulnerable about it I you know I didn't I didn't I didn't seek to hurt this person yeah. um and so like it, it really restored this relationship and um I got to and and then also they admitted I was right so that was kind of cool um but <laughs> yeah Bonus yeah super icing on the cake but it, it was that that was awesome I really uh that was really rewarding to have that difficult conversation and then on top of that like the response was great that's amazing that's a huge yeah. win that's yeah huge I yeah think so. That's a massive one. I mean, we, we like to say that all wins are huge wins, even the small ones, but that one's really, that one. Oh my gosh. We all know what it's like to like avoid a difficult conversation. And (laughs) we all know like when we actually have to give voice and have that conversation, like what a relief, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if it doesn't go our way, right. What a relief to just have it over with. (laughs) It feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Dominic, for being with us today. It was such a joy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I love doing stuff like this. Uh, I love what you're doing. Um, I hope people enjoy it. We know they will. We know yeah. they will. We have a wonderful warrior fam and uh, it's nothing but love in our corner, in our corner, mm-hmm. back to the are. MMA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh my gosh. Such a great chat. Yeah. So, so good. It's like, Every time we we listen to our conversations with our guests, I just feel warm and supported and inspired and empowered all over again. Yeah. Yeah. So some takeaways from this conversation with Dominic, what came up for you? Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that really stuck out and, um, I, I didn't ask a follow-up question during the, during the episode, during our podcast, but, um, he talks about how his father had achieved the American dream. Mm. And, and my takeaway in that, when he shared that was just like on the outside, things might look so good, but we never know what's going on on someone's insides. And his dad was suffering. And, yeah. you know, when I think of the American dream, I don't think of suffering <laughs> and, and I think we have to rethink the American dream in general, but for yes. me, that is really what stuck out because yeah, in the fifties, right. Having a job, having a family, having a house, like having a white picket fence was the American dream. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was my takeaway is just like things might always look, you know, picturesque, picturesque on the outside, but we really never know what's happening on the inside. Yeah. It's just so well said. I feel like so much of that part of the conversation where Dominic shared about his his relationship to his father, his grandfather, his father's relationship to his grandfather, and just all of the ways that he learned to take in the world around him and how that really impacted, you know, um, his own lived experience. Right. And he's, he grew up feeling very misunderstood and, 
that obviously, and he was severely punished for things that he wasn't really fully told what he was doing wrong. Or, I mean, I say wrong, that's not, that's not even the right word, right? It's just like, what was he doing even to get him to land him in so much trouble all the time? And it was like, his teachers weren't recognizing in him that he was creative and smart and a prodigy. And how, how else is a child supposed to interpret, right? Their genius, if they're not being given the opportunity to share it. And to have it be guided in a way. And I feel like it was reminiscent of our conversation with Jesse Israel Mm -hmm. about like feeling a little bit misunderstood and being a leader, being a creative genius and not having that be kind of nourished in those formative years. Um, So that really stood out to me. And I think my takeaway from that is just like for all the grownups out there, how the, the way that we speak to children, the way that we interact with them, the way that we, um, pay attention to ourselves and care for ourselves is going to have an impact on the kids around us. And in ways we may not even know about for years to come. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when just to, you know, riff off of what you're saying, um, the, the other part of it is in, in him feeling misunderstood and in him being punished for just being a human being, you know, he didn't know what he didn't know. Um, that for some reason, like who came up with the brilliant idea of all the children that are experiencing, you know, behavior challenges get put in the same room together Mm -hmm. because what are they learning from each other? Right. Like, (laughs) and, and, and there's actually like a lot of um, research about why that is a problem. Dr. Bruce Perry talks about it in, I think his book, um, the boy who was raised as a dog. Um, And, but the, but you know, my, my, takeaway is it just really says something about like who you surround yourself with um and what you learn by the people you surround yourself with right and and for him what he said was he was lucky enough to have healthy serving relationships outside of school yeah um and that is what really helped him and so you know the other part in that takeaway is just like how important relationships are in helping people stay on the like quote unquote right path because had he only been with you know a bunch of other kids with challenging behavior that didn't they didn't understand what they were doing wrong right and he didn't have these other strong supports of uh, adult support out there like you know again who knows and it's not worth really thinking that but it really just says how important all human beings are in showing up and having relationships with others Yes, totally. Outside of your immediate too, right? Mm-hmm. How beneficial it can be to have those outside sources of support um, outside of your classroom of kids, your teachers, your family. Um, you know, I really loved how Dominic was so self-curious. I feel like this concept came up so often throughout our conversation. It just seemed like, especially when he started going to therapy and learning more about his ADHD and his anxiety and depression. And he was given very concrete, tangible mindfulness-based practices and um, tools to try, you know, something he brought up in our call that unfortunately we didn't really get to in the interview was he shared a little bit about acceptance and commitment therapy Mm. and had very specific and specialized mindfulness practices. um, And he found that hugely beneficial, but I just feel like the overall takeaway is that he, he just seemed so keen to keep learning about his own experience. And then so he could serve other people, create 
more anxiety warriors as opposed to just people who are living in the world with anxiety or living in the world with depression, living in the world with ADHD, creating that space where like, okay, we can have agency over this. We can work on it together. I understand your lived experience. I had that same lived experience Mm -hmm. and I can help validate for you and um, help you see through it. Yeah. 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 It's so, it's so important. Um, I really, you know, um, off of that, I really appreciated how he talked about like building that strong foundation and how it's life skills. It's not skills for people with ADHD. It's not skills for people with depression. It's not skills for people with anxiety. These are like basic life skills of understanding yourself and understanding that not every thought is true and understanding, you know, how, how to accept yourself, um, that, that everyone can benefit from. And it kind of ties into, you know, our episode with Sammy when she was talking about DBT, Mm -hmm. right. Therapy is just not for people who need help, right. It can be a proactive approach when you're feeling good to have the tools when you're not feeling good, which bringing it back to our episode with Darius, right. And Melissa too. (laughs) And Melissa, right. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I, I, um, I really, I appreciated that, that strong foundation piece, um, that you can build upon. Um, and then, you know, the last thing that I'll just say, which, um, is more of a reflection than a takeaway, but I'm really, um, I really value what he said. And he mentioned that, you know, in the coaching world, sometimes people will talk about trauma and he, he alluded to how in coaching, we're not therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, in coaching, our role is to coach. And that if someone says a lot about trauma, we are not to pretend that we know anything about trauma, even if we've read about it, like if we're not a therapist, know your role. And I really just value him saying that because in the wellness world, um, people that are coaching or people that are mindfulness teachers, or we might get stuck wanting to be of service and wanting to like help this person in front of us, even though it's not our role, even though it's not our job, even though we're not qualified. And I really, really appreciate that he pointed that piece out because um, it's just so important to know what hat are you wearing, you know? Mm -hmm. And if someone needs extra support, there's nothing wrong with you for not being able to help them. Yes. You just don't have the, you know, the degree or you don't yeah. have the, the educational background, <laughs> the educational background. Yeah. And, totally. and I, I just think that that needs to continually be spoken about in the wellness world is know your role, know your hat that you're wearing and don't, don't try to put on a hat that you've never worn before, because even though you want to be of service, you might actually be doing more harm than good. Oh my gosh. Yes. So well said. That's reminding me of like our selling episode, right? Just like (laughs) learning how to sell with integrity, make sure that you're setting up appropriate expectations for your clients, the people that you're hoping to help. And I, the way you put that at the end is just so perfect. It's like, you could be doing more harm than you realize simply by talking about something you don't know. And it's, it may be an active practice for you, right. To, to let go of not knowing everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just some reflection there. Um, you know, my final takeaway is just, I loved hearing about art therapy and, um, how so many of the warriors we've spoken to, and I think ourselves included, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, have just found the ways in which we need the most support. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find that creative outlets, can be extremely helpful and they do not get enough attention, I think. And so I loved that 
that not only was this person a professional artist, but he also, even as a professional artist, is taking art therapy, which is very, very different from, it's like when you, it's like saying for, for a therapist that goes and sees their own therapist, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you don't have all the answers just because you work in a medium doesn't mean you know how to therapize yourself through it and how to use it as a tool for coping. Yeah. And so I love that he was able to take something that he's so passionate about in his work and also translate that into something that's teaching him and Mm -hmm. um, can be used as a form of coping and therapy. And I think that it's just what the takeaway I think is, is just, I like, I want to dive deeper into more creative outlets for myself. Yeah. You know, so I appreciate that hearing that from Dominic, because I think that so many of us put ourselves into boxes of who we are and who we should be and what we're good at and what we shouldn't be dabbling in. And it's like, I feel like you had mentioned this in a previous episode. It's like, I did watercolors and did art because it was fun and it made me feel good. And it's like, I need to let go of like, I'm not a great artist, but I can still color and paint and try things out and fuck it up and who cares, right? right? And just let go of the perfectionist piece. So I love, love, love. I love that part. So I think that was my- my final takeaway. I love that. I mean, right. I mean, the intention in the art could be practicing, like letting go of, of perfection while you're doing the watercoloring or, yeah. you know, I used to love doing it with my students. Yeah. Right. It didn't matter. I was just hanging out with my four and five-year-olds and we were just right. painting and it didn't, right. It's like, I need to get back to that space and, and yeah. use it as a form of coping. Right. Right. And there's, I mean, there's so many different, like, it can be used as coping or it can be used as like a, a focus practice. You know, I know that for mm-hmm. me, someone with ADHD, I've used it as a way where like I'll color coloring books, notice when my mind wanders, bring it back to the coloring book, yeah. you know, or it can be like soothing. Like I made watercolor, like heart cards for people and it brought me joy making the card, but it also brought me joy giving it to someone else. Right. So yeah. there's so many different ways to enjoy creating stuff. So true. Yeah. So true. Oh, this was such a great conversation. Warriors, we hope you loved it as much as we loved having it and re-listening to it. Thank you so much for being here with us. We love you so, so much. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram. You can find us at anxiety warriors podcast, connect with us over there. Lots of fun stuff always going on every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you are interested in reaching out for any reason, you can Hit us up on email. We're at anxietywarriorspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your wins of the week. If you have topic ideas that you'd love for us to explore, please share so we can, you know, consider them and add them to our list possibly. And if you think you'd be an awesome fit as a guest on our show, we'd love to meet you, connect with you and help amplify your very important anxiety journey. Yes. And warriors. If you're listening, which we know you are on a telephone device or a computer device or an iPad or something of the like, you will please, please, please. It would mean so much if you took two seconds and smashed a five-star rating mm-hmm. on Apple podcasts or Spotify, leave us a review over on Apple. If that's where you listen, if there's a place for you to leave a rating or review, uh, wherever you're listening, just go ahead and do that for us, please. So we can keep growing our warrior fam. We are also on YouTube. Look us up, Anxiety Warriors Podcast. All these episodes are plugged in over there now. Thanks to the mm-hmm. one and only Abby, <laughs> Rockstar Abby, busting her ass over there, <laughs> getting all the episodes in. Um, and if you 
would love some Anxiety Warriors merch for the warrior in your life or for yourself or both, preferably. You deserve something too. You can jump on our show notes and check out our um, link for Threadless where you can yes. pick up some Anxiety Warriors merch. We've got mugs and hoodies and blankets and all, a lot of fun stuff, actually. Yes. It's like more than just clothing, which I love. Yes. Yes. Get yourself a nice throw. Very, <laughs> he sounded very like grandma. Get yourself a nice throw. That's very New York too. Warm yourself up. Grab a a mug for your coffee. (laughs) Okay, this is off the rails officially. We love you so much, Warriors. Thank you. Yes, thank you all so much for going on this journey with us. We're so grateful y'all are here. Till next time. 